Welcome to the Southern Ohio Synod podcast. I am Pastor Tim Menser, and I serve as assistant to the bishop for discipleship, leadership, and engagement. This means I work with congregational leaders to better equip them for their roles in their churches, and I am preparing people of the Synod to tell the story of Jesus. I am so glad you have joined us for our episode today. So once again, welcome to this podcast episode. I am Pastor Rebecca Great, and I serve as the media ambassador and storyteller for the Southern Ohio Synod. And on this episode, we are joined by two people. We are joined by Pastor Bob Abrams, who serves as the assistant to the bishop for the Southern Ohio Synod, and Deacon Mary Ann Schwab, who serves as the Natural Systems Coordinator and Executive for Synod Relations at the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So friends, why don't you each more fully introduce yourselves and probably a few things about each of your positions. It is, uh, first of all, it's good to be with you. Um, my name is Bob Abrams. I, I serve in a position in the Southern Ohio Synod where um, I help the bishop as she works with congregations that are going through a lot of different situations. Uh, for example, if a, if a congregation is in between pastors, uh, I'm the person that, it, that works with them to help them find a new pastor. Another situation where I might be called in would be a situation where the congregation has found itself stuck, unable to uh, make an important decision or face a difficult issue. Uh, maybe they're at loggerheads within the congregation, or maybe they just feel like they can't uh, break free of the way they've done things in the past. Uh, and then having an outside voice come in uh, sometimes can be helpful for them. And so I'll be called into a situation like that. And it's also good to be with you. Hi, Marianne Schwab. Um, Rebecca did a good job of giving the lengthy title that I wear in a couple of different ways. Um, I am, I do coordinate the uh, ELCA Systems Academy and its work, uh, which is housed in the, uh, at the Lutheran Center when it meets four times a year. Um, and I also am in the executive for Synod Relations. Um, that position in a nutshell, because there's a lot that goes into that position, as you might guess, but that position in a nutshell is serving as the primary relator uh, to our 65 synod bishops and the 65 synods, as well as coordinating um, when the COB, when the Conference of Bishops meets uh, in session. Um, and the natural systems coordinator position uh, oversees the academy, the Natural Systems Academy, um, and how that work uh, can move out into our 65 synods. I think that's the most concise way I can say that. Thank you both for being on the podcast today. I am curious, though, how you two got connected to one another in your roles? That's an excellent question. 
When I was called as assistant to the bishop uh, in 2014, there was some conversation about what kind of training would be helpful for the work that we are asking you to do. And Bishop Dillahunt and I had uh, conversations about different tools that we could use, different seminars I might be able to attend. Uh, so, for example, I attended what's called the, the Lombard Mennonite Peace Institute's Congregational Mediation Training. But, you know, not every congregation needs that level of mediation. Uh, and that's a very lengthy process. And when you have 185 congregations, uh, it's kind of difficult to devote that much time. Uh, so the conversation continued. And then in, I think, early 2015, Bishop Dillahunt said to me, Bob, they are starting a new academy at the ELCA. Uh, it's going to be kind of a deep dive into family systems theory. Uh, is that something that you would like to be a part of? It would, we would be kind of a pilot project member of that academy. And I said, absolutely. And that's how I got to be a part of it. And we are so glad that he was in that inaugural class. Uh, he was part of uh, a group of 15 who came in in that first year to the Systems Academy. Um, that is how I initially uh, learned to know Bob. And now all these many years later, because it's been how many years later now? Ten, nine? Nine years later? I think, nine maybe? years later, yeah. yeah. Um, after, after Bob's four years of the Academy uh, program itself, um, he has continued to stay connected to the Academy, as most of the grads, or I should say many of the grads do, uh, who go through the four-year curriculum. Um, and then Bob and I, because we are in Ohio uh, together, I'm in Northeastern Ohio, both residential and rostered, uh, we, we are able to see each other uh, and continue to, to uh, collegially work through uh, some of the uh, things that just naturally surface as part of our work. And because we're in Ohio, it's an easy connection. So you both have used some words that I don't think I fully understand. I'm curious if you can um, help me understand better and help our listeners understand better. Um, I've heard you mention phrases like systems academy and systems theory. And that, since that's so integral to how you two got to know one another and got connected through your work serving in the larger church, I was curious if you could help me understand what each of those are. So let me tackle the easy one on that. I can tell you what the systems academy goals are. Um, and then I'm going to pass the talking about what systems theory is to Bob Abrams, because I just love it when that question comes to me, and it's such an easy thing to describe. Not. <laughs> so let me tackle the Systems Academy. The Systems Academy it began um, soon after uh, Bishop Eaton was elected presiding bishop. I had been doing this work in Northeastern Ohio, and she said, um, 
in that year uh, or months, I should say, not even a full year, but the months following her election as presiding bishop, she said to me, um, what are ways in which we could bring this work to, to the national church? Um, so several of us started brainstorming. Dr. Larry Foster was one of those. Um, Pamela Zarnota, uh, Deacon Pamela Zarnota was the other one, um, along with Bishop Eaton. And we started thinking about ways in which we could develop an academy curriculum that would basically invite uh, any of our bishops who were motivated and interested to do so to appoint a person who would either be directly on their staff or an adjunct person um, to the academy, engage them in the four-year curriculum. And as Bob said, it's a kind of deep dive into family systems theory. And at the end of that four-year curriculum, that person would be equipped with a consultation with their bishop on behalf of their bishop to begin to do this kind of work, family systems work, um, in both congregations and with rostered ministers in their synods. So that's the goal of the academy. Um, it's a four-year curriculum. Now I'm going to pass it off to Bob to tell you exactly what family systems theory is. And Bob, I will say to you that I did, just because it's so hard to describe family systems theory in a nutshell, I do have a nice tidy little statement um, from the Bowen Center itself about what is family systems theory exactly. So I think that would be a smart thing to give after I botch it, as, <laughs> as I try to describe it. Um, I, I, I often think about this because it is something that people ask, um, and it is not something that is easy to describe, but it is something that is extremely important to to try to grasp if you're in the type of work that, that Mary Ann and I are in. And that is this, there are, are ways of seeing relationships. There's a way of seeing relationships and the importance of how we connect to people that reveals that those connections are actually as important as the individual meaning that our, our relationships and the emotions that people have and our feelings and our thoughts, they have a, more of a, an influence over the way we are than we might realize. And that includes families, that includes congregations. Uh, and systems theory helps us see the larger picture and to see how we relate to people uh, how we see ourselves, and uh, how we might remain an individual while, while being connected to this larger uh, group of people that we are, are part of. Um, because if we don't, if we're not able to see that, then we become a little bit susceptible to the, to the mood of the room or a little bit more susceptible to the, uh, the, the emotions of others. And it kind, of, it, it kind of clouds our ability to think clearly at times. So the way I would describe it is this. Imagine that you have just been startled. Maybe somebody comes up behind you and you jump. Then ask yourself, could I do a crossword puzzle right then and there in that moment? when I am startled? And the answer to the question is probably not. It's hard to think when you're, when you're 
instinctive reactions have been triggered like that. Systems theory is a way of helping us think when those type of instinctive reactions have been triggered in a group of people. It's a way of helping us understand what's at play and then maybe um, some ways to work ourselves away from that so that we can think a little more clearly. Actually, I just want to say that was quite elegant, Bob Abrams. So oh my. I don't know that I need to even add the paragraph from the Bowen Center. Uh, Please from, do, from though. Their words, but, but I will. I'll read it just because it's a nice, um, it's a good encapsulation of the way the Bowen Center uh, talks about what the theory is. Um, so so on, on the Bowen Center website, it says, Dr. Murray Bowen, a psychiatrist, originated his theory and its eight interlocking concepts. He formulated the theory by using systems thinking to integrate knowledge of the human as a product of evolution with knowledge from family research. A core assumption is that an emotional system that evolved over several billion years governs human relationship systems. People have a thinking brain, language, a complex psychology and culture, but they still do all the ordinary things that other forms of life do. The emotional system affects most human activity and is the principal driving force in the development of clinical problems. Knowledge of how the emotional system operates in one's family, work, and social systems offers new, more effective options for solving problems in each of these areas. That's just a restatement of what Bob Abrams already said. Now, you know, as, as you think about it, as here we are in the context of working with groups of people that um, have formed congregations, right? Think about a situation where that group of people might be more emotional or anxious or upset about something. For example, what if a pastor suddenly resigns? And a, a person like me or a person like uh, Mary Ann would be asked to come in to talk to them. Uh, how, how clear might they be thinking? Uh, would they be thinking about all options or would they be trying to uh, maybe move quickly to, to replace the person that is leaving? Uh, and would that necessarily be the right decision in that moment? Uh, and so how do we understand the the emotional process that's going on with that group of people in a way that we can help them back up just a little bit so that they don't just react to the way they feel, but they're able to think through, faithfully think through what their options are. And And that's, to me, that's why systems thinking is important um, in this type of work. And the human impulse in that is always to scratch the itch where it itches and get rid of that itch as quickly as possible. And that's what so often trips us up, I think, as people in relationship, because we're willing to do anything that moves toward solving a problem quickly rather than letting the problem be there for long enough that we are able to think our way through it instead of emotionally react to it, um, which is always our default. We're, and this is where I think the theology intersects with who we are. This is how we've been created. 
we're emotional creatures. We're creatures who are built to be in relationship. And we want to keep those relationships as comfortable as possible. And sometimes that means that we move too quickly into solving something that should take a little more time and have more brain engagement and less reactivity. And that's where systems theory comes in, I think, and is such a beautiful um, provider of options, gives us a repertoire of options um, that that can serve us so well and sometimes get oversimplified. And that's the, that's sometimes what yeah. we see is that it in systems theory, some people oversimplify and think that if you're calm enough, everything will work its way out. Well, it's not quite that simple. <laughs> I, I'm going to add something to, to this and, and maybe, maybe this is a misconception, especially among pastors who have had maybe a class about what systems theory is. Um, it's easy for us to be focusing, like Marianne and I are talking about the concepts, right? But the fact of the matter is, the only people we can control in that room is us. Systems thinking helps us think, what is going on and what is my reaction to it right now? An upset group of people or an anxious group of people, um, we're not going to be able to make them not anxious. But what we can do is control our own and think about our own response to what we're experiencing. And that then does have an impact on what's going on in the room. And so systems thinking, at least in my experience, and I think Marianne, you taught me this, so I know I'm on solid ground here. Systems thinking is about knowing oneself and how that, how we relate, how I relate to the group of people that I'm with right now. Absolutely true. And the emphasis is always in, in any group, how do you stand on the edge of the group and not be part of the glob that can manifest itself by being a part of a group? How do you stay slightly on the edge so that you're able to engage your brain and be a self to do your own thinking without being absorbed into the, the thought process of the whole group? So, Bob, earlier you mentioned an example of how systems thinking can be really helpful for congregations that are experiencing the sudden resignation of one of their rostered ministers, usually it's a pastor, but it can be other leaders as well. And I'm curious if systems thinking can be seen to be helpful as we are in the year 2023, which is maybe three years post-COVID, depending on who you ask. It may be in the third year of living with COVID or third or fourth year of living with COVID um, in our communities. and. I'm curious how systems thinking can be helpful for those serving in congregations or worshiping within congregations or leading in some way as we tend to our current context in the world we live in right now. I think systems thinking not only can be helpful, I think it's crucial. Uh, and, and here's why. Leadership can get bogged down. And that can be a rostered minister, a pastor, a deacon, uh, it can be a council president. Um, it can be uh, the head of a ministry, a volunteer head of a ministry. And the reason is, is that we are seeing a changed environment 
where the way the church has conducted itself for the last 50 years isn't necessarily working right now. And if we are, if our blinders are on in the sense that we're, we're kind of emotionally locked into let's keep trying what we've been doing to see if it will work, we're going to get bogged down and tired and maybe discouraged. The best numbers we see right now, and this is anecdotal, um, but it's probably pretty solid. Many congregations, about 20 to 30% of their people have not returned uh, to live worship after COVID. That often impacts giving, which impacts budgets and the ability to, to do ministry. And, and that can raise anxiety. So how do we, as the church who walk alongside congregations from, you know, from our office, how do we help them stand back and see the opportunities that exist rather than just the long slog that they're already in uh, about trying harder and harder to do the same thing and getting the same results? How do we help them see the larger picture while understanding that the, co the congregation is probably anxious about what it's seeing and experiencing. Where are those younger families that were here prior to COVID? How can we help, how can we help congregations see that bigger picture while acknowledging the fact that, yeah, there are challenges right now? I'm going to, uh, with a little bit of a, a giggle in my voice probably, uh, Put this to a national to a national level. I was listening. We're right now as we um, as we sit here uh, recording this podcast. Um, we are in the process in our country of trying trying to choose a speaker of the house. Um, I was listening to the news this morning on the way down, and I I think I've lost track now of how many tries we've had in the last uh, ten days. Um, after Speaker McCarthy was um, ousted. Um, and no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, it has been a really um, challenging visual to watch this happen in our government. And I was thinking this morning, um, if only Rabbi Friedman, who used to consult with um, some of the national uh, leaders when he was um, in the in the really linked to various generals and again national leaders he was in the he was in the national level of being consulted um, from a from a systems perspective if only Rabbi Friedman or someone else some other systems leader right now could be consulting with with that process and have enough people in the room I wonder what it would change. Um, it would be fascinating to me to see how that might play out differently if we had some really skilled systems people in the room who could guide our national leaders into thinking about this from a systemic perspective. I miss Ed. I think we all do, Ed Friedman. Um, that, that type of cl clearer thinking, that type of uh, um, spirit of creativity of asking questions that are not expected necessarily, 
uh, to help us free up the way we're seeing the world. You know, I was I was uh, having a conversation last night with one of our congregations. I was with my my colleague, Pastor Katie Kerrigan, um, and we were talking about the challenge of being smaller congregation right now. And I mentioned a conversation that I had had the opportunity to be a part of when so our German Lutheran partners had come over, and they were sharing what they're doing in the face of some cultural changes. And one of them said this, we thought, well, instead of thinking about how do we do church better the way we've been doing it, they said, what, we started to conceptualize it, what spaces are we not in that people are in right now? What spaces are, is the church absent from where society is, where people are? And then another person spoke up and said, well, in our city, there are about six Lutheran churches in the downtown area. And we decided, instead of trying to keep them all open in a traditional way, we decided to use one of them as the city youth church. And they turned it into the youth church, and on Sunday nights, uh, they have a pastor there, but the, the kids design their own service. And the youth church has attracted new people who don't go to church. Now, what we're talking about, I think Mary Ann's talking about, what I'm trying to say is, how do you free up that kind of thinking in a group of anxious people. And I think what we're getting at is leaders who are able to think more clearly and how, and somebody maybe coming alongside from the outside, maybe, um, maybe Marianne, maybe me, maybe somebody else to say, how do we, how do we open up that kind of thinking in the group? That's challenging work. It takes a lot of work on our own side to regulate our own reaction to an upset group or maybe a locked up group uh, emotionally. But it does yield wider results when we're able to do it, more options. And I think that's what the church needs right now. And I think in this, whatever, whether you call it post-COVID reality, in the midst of COVID reality, from what I can see in our larger cultural context and how that is playing itself out in the church, that we are going to need more and more leaders who are able to address the tensions that are just naturally going to be part of this movement forward in the church. And um, I... The one thing that I am, and Bob is probably going to roll his eyes when I say it because he's heard me say it before. So you all won't be able to see the eye roll, but I'll I'll be watching his face. Um, I maintain that one of the best things we're going to be able to do as church from a systemic perspective is to talk about how we are present with each other. And I think that's very much a systems perspective. How are we present with and for each other? So many congregations are going to be anxious and already are about how do we regain the territory that we lost or how do we, how can we figure out who to be in this post-COVID reality? And 
until we figure out how not to plug in one more program and how to how do we be present how do we bring the presence of christ how can we be with others in a true listening sense until we figure that out we're going to con- i think we're going to continue to spin those wheels um, so that's just a platform that I'm going to be talking a lot more about and trying to bring a systems perspective to in the future. I'm going to add this. Our rostered ministers, and when I say rostered ministers, I mean pastors and deacons, are living with the people of God. And the people of God can become very anxious about the future. And how can how can we help our rostered ministers not be captured by that anxiety, but instead to, to, to be a presence with them that helps them see big, the bigger picture, helps the people of God see the opportunities, um, because our pastors and our deacons can become worn down if, if the emotion of the group, the, the worry and the fear of the group takes over even them. And so a lot of the work that we do in this office, in, in the Southern Ohio Synod office, um, uh, through a, a group that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, we have a congregational resource team. Um, I will add that it is very much like the congregational resource team that has existed for a long time in the Northeastern Ohio Synod under the direction of Deacon Marianne Schwab. But a lot of the work that we do is individual coaching with pastors and deacons and congregational leaders how can we how can we lead in a time when people are more fearful or or they they see fewer options how can we think bigger how can we maintain a self in the midst of a group that is 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 feeling more than thinking i i have i just have to insert this phrase that is so appropriate. I think even though Bowen was not a religious man by his own profession, necessarily not a religious man per se, um, one of the th- phrases that he said, there are many quotes that uh, are, stick in my mind, but this one I think just is elegantly um, uh, maybe inserted here. Uh, and he said, don't just do something, stand there. And I think that was his urge to people, um, get your head in gear, uh, but don't go into frantic activity. Be with people. Be, be a calm presence, a thinking presence, a being presence. So don't just go into overdrive mode. How can you be with people? Don't just do something. Stand there. Be present. Think of it this way. If you're sitting around your dining room table, if if people actually grew up sitting around a dining room table, my family didn't. We often ate on TV trays. Um, But if you're in, if you're, when you were a kid, if you were in a room with your parents and something was going on, were you more upset when your parents were upset or were you more calm when your parents were, if they were calm? It, the way we the way our leaders impact the reactions of the people is significant and the the leaders of a group the emotional leaders of a church uh, they don't have to be elected or even be a, 
be a rostered minister. But if they're able to stand there and to be without being pulled in by the, the, the emotional wave that is flowing through, it is amazing how much more clearly a congregation can think. And that's not easy. We, we know that's not easy to stand in front of an anxious group that wants you to fix something and wants you to speak words that will matter to them in a jump on our case. We want, you know, jump, jump into our case to be a part of us. Um, that's not an easy position to take on, but it is critically important now, ever more critically important, I will say, moving into the future. And that's why I agree. Um, and it's and I I will name it for myself. It is difficult when you're in a room of upset people to not become nervous or reactive to their their being upset. That's why we really emphasize um, the ability to speak to someone in a in a capacity, a coaching capacity. So our pastors or deacons or congregational presidents. Sometimes we work with a personnel chair um, to to bring their ideas to us in, a, in a, a quiet, confidential setting, and we ask them questions, help them think through, um, help them be with their people in a, in a different way than they might have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. And to coach them, I think, through I, uh, the Northeastern Ohio team right now is working with a congregation that um, is some really stellar leaders, um, but the face of resistance has been so strong and so um, energized in, in a way that has created uh, this kind of wall of fear. Um, and it, it really does take some intentional thinking on the part of a person who's standing in that leadership position to be able to understand this is a natural human emotion. We don't have to be afraid of it. It's okay. You can stand there and you can take it and you can listen. In fact, you can ask questions about it and try and open up the landscape even a little more, which does serve to calm. Uh, but but to, to get rid of some of that fear of being in the midst of those difficult situations is all part and parcel of how we really need to be open to what what these more difficult circumstances are going to be for us in the future. How do we stand there and be a thinking presence? I, I'm going to uh, uh, use that as an opportunity to dispel a myth about what pastors and deacons may have learned in seminary. There's a phrase that a lot of us were taught that we, are, we should be a non-anxious presence. <laughs> Now think about that. Is it possible for a living human being, a living human organism, to not have any anxiety at all? It, dead. Uh, we, we would be dead. Yeah. So we really discourage the use of that phrase these days. Um, really, the goal is to be less anxious than the people around you. That's the goal. That's the goal. And that is such a big goal and so hard to attain. Um, but if I were a rostered minister, which I am, and I were in a setting where 
I could use some additional support in learning more about systems theory and thinking and these resource teams, how would I go about getting connected to the people or to some more reading and resources to help me find that support and learn some more? I'll be happy to go first, but we do have this wonderful national network now. Um, and I should have brought that number with me this morning. Um, I couldn't even hazard a guess how many people we've already put out in the field of graduates, but it's uh, we we have a, a good big uh, posse full of people. Um, so uh, we can put uh, people in touch across the country with people who are systems coaches. Um, and that is probably, as Bob has already said, that's one of the really vital ways that you can get connected to the theory is get yourself a good systems coach to get your toe in that water. And then from there on, there are certainly lots of um, resource uh, resources by way of books and uh, podcasts and, you know, uh, online videos through the Bowen Center, um, noted guest speakers throughout the country that if you're doing a synod, uh, a synod kind of an event, uh, these are, you know, have been thinking systems theory for a long, long time and are really gifted. Um, so I'll let Bob take it over locally. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, um, for us, if a person was interested in systems coaching, I think the, the easiest thing is to send me an email or uh, or give me a call, and we can talk about who might be out there who might who might be able to help you. If you're a, pa a pastor or a deacon, or if you're in a congregation in a leadership capacity, the resource team here um, is a great place to start. We cannot provide long-term individual coaching just for an individual. Uh, but we can provide coaching during a period uh, in the congregation's life uh, where the leader is engaging an issue. Um, we've had a number of people contact me saying, I just want, I simply just want a systems coach. Who can, who could it be? Uh, and there are people uh, out there who are able to do that. And so Marianne has named the, our my colleagues and graduates from the Systems Academy uh, that I could I could help you uh, hook up with, but there are also people who national um, people who do coaching nationally uh, who take on individual coaching clients that we could connect you with. There are resources out there. Um, I will tell you that the feedback I have gotten uh, when we have made those connections has been very very positive. I think one of, and I, I don't want to speak for Bob, when I started learning the theory back in the early 90s, um, I couldn't have imagined, I was a single mom at the time with three kids, um, a variety of ages. The first one was, uh, or the oldest one was about, uh, oh, she was probably high school age, the next one middle, the next one elementary. Um, I look back on those years and the challenges that it posed and think that I could not have waded through that water as well as I did had I not started studying systems theory. And then bringing that into my work in the, in the congregation that I was serving and then extended uh, to, as part of Synod staff, um, I realized pretty early on that it was going to be a lifelong commitment because it, it was a, it was a life-changing um, way in which I was able to see my part in a relationship system and how to be a better self 
a more connected self, a better thinking self. Um, it, it has been probably, uh, other than being a baptized child of God, which of course goes straight to the top of the list, it's the next best thing of um, how a way of living has so influenced uh, the way I am a human in the world. I'm going to throw my, my own um, testimony in with Mary Ann's in that I really do not believe that I would still be sitting in the chair that I am in in the Southern Ohio Synod without this theory, without this work, because the intensity of uh, synod work, working with congregations, working with, with um, rostered ministers, it's very high. And a lot of a lot of people find it to be too much um, over time, and they decide to go into a different type of ministry. Um, but I've been able to stay and stay in it, I think, because of because of the coaching I have received, because of uh, the training that I've received in the theory. You're a lifelong student, by the way. You know, you never become an expert at this. And and I will never be an expert at this. And I have good days and I have bad days. But my ability to understand myself better as I relate to very intense situations has made all of the difference. It has made all of the difference for me. I have to just chuckle when Bob just said that, because let there be, uh, we can sound eloquent, like we really know what we're doing here. And let there be one major problem in our family. And yep. I go right down to that 20 percentile of thinking again. I, I, can, <laughs> I can go, I can dip so fast it could make your head spin. So um, this is tough work. And let there be a family problem arise and whoo, there, there it goes. <laughs> Two nights ago, I had a family problem arise. And then within 20 minutes of getting that phone call, I got a phone call from a pastor who needed to talk through a very intense situation. And my, my own personal reactivity was so high, I wondered if I would be able to actually be present for this pastor. Um, it ended up getting better as the conversation occurred. But I'll tell you what, in 2013 or 14, I don't know that I would have been able to be present for this pastor in a way that was in any way helpful after receiving a, a family phone call like that. I have a wonder, had a wonderful colleague who is deceased now, who was a systems thinker, studied directly with Ed Friedman. And after a particularly difficult church council meeting one night, and he'd been studying systems theory for, you know, a number of years. We both had at that point, but um, we walked out of that council meeting. He looked at me and he held up his hands. He said, I know, I know. I just lost my system certificate tonight, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I... I am so grateful to hear that even those who are experts in the field still struggle with implementing all of the systems thinking whenever things get stressful. Like it is good to know that we are in good company, that stress and anxiety still takes a toll on everyone and we're not alone in that. Um. I do want to say thank you to both of you for joining us on the podcast today and sharing 
some of your expertise in systems thinking and letting us know more about the resource teams and the systems academy and how we can get connected to some of that information. Thank you for joining us today. It's been delightful to be in this conversation with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast episode. If you have questions about any of the content or want to continue the conversation, you can connect with Pastor Bob Abrams by sending him an email. His email address is rabrams at southernohiosynod.org. And make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform so you can catch our next episode. Until the next time we gather on this podcast, remember that we are stronger and better together, joining Jesus in the restoration of the world.